it took forever to, for me to wrap my head around this happened, but it does happen. And it happens to good people mm-hmm. and it happens to normal people. And it happens, it happens. And it doesn't mean you're dumb and it doesn't mean that you're naive. It doesn't mean that yes. Yes. it can happen to anyone given the right set of circumstances. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Teal. Kelly is an accomplished voice actress, author, speaker, consultant, and the driving force behind her new platform, Be Glorious. Kelly was a member of the Nixium cult, and after exiting, she appeared in the critically acclaimed documentary, Seduced. She is set to release her first book in January 2022, Unapologetically Glorious. She has taken her power back and is helping others to do the same. Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Trauma, abuse, cults, slavery, and spirituality. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. Are you okay? I am okay right now. Yes, I am. Thank you. I'm a little nervous, um, and as I always am with podcasts, um, but you're wonderful, so I'm actually feeling quite at ease. Oh, thank you. I would love to hear a compliment that you've received and that you've never forgotten. The reason I haven't forgotten it because I didn't exactly know what it meant, but mm-hmm. I was out shopping a, f- a few weeks ago and I purchased something and the stores only had a few people in because of COVID. And so I was just chatting with the other people in the store and we ch- I checked out and the, and the sales gal walked me to the door and she said, you know, we were talking behind the desk and she said, you remind us of Princess Diana. And I wow. said, really? and she said, your energy is like Princess Diana. And I thought, wow, well, well, thank you. And then I left and I'm thinking, what does that mean? What, 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 what does that mean? And so I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm going to make it mean that she was kind and compassionate and, and empathetic. And so, yes, I will take that as a compliment because I am working toward that. I'm working on that. So that was a compliment that I, I couldn't forget because I wasn't really sure what it meant. That's very, so. yeah, that's a very intense thing to say. And there are so many ways that you could take that. I think I think the way you interpreted it is, is I think, probably the way it was meant, I think. I, I think, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. She was really sweet. The sales girl was very sweet when she walked me out to the door. And yeah, so that would be the one. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is your favorite color and what do you associate with it? Oh, I love the color yellow. Uh, I never really wear yellow, but I love the color yellow because it's warm and bright and it to me, it represents the sun and the mm. energy that comes from the sun that we all need to live. And it re- represents joy and happiness and a little smiley face. <laughs> I love that. You do actually have, you have a warmth about you. So that yellow, like I, I get like a strong yellow energy from you. Oh, you That's do. lovely. Yeah. And if I had to summon you in a ritual, what five things would I need to place as offerings at each point of the pentacle on the floor? At the top of the pentacle, I believe would be water, something to do with water. So Mm -hmm. because water is so important to me and cleansing myself, my physical body, but also my emotions. And I love being around water. I think to the right of that would be a pen because I am a writer and writing to me is is so important. Straight across over to the left, I would say um, I would put my books, all my, all my literature books and all my spiritual books and all of my historical books, because those are so important. And at the bottom of the pentacle, I would put on the right, I would put something representing Gaia, earth, nature, trees, birds, animals that would be on the right. And on the other side would be my faith on the Mm -hmm. left would be faith, anything to do with faith and um, spirituality and 
connectedness to other human beings really is what that would be. So something that represent me being human and connecting to other humans through, through faith and understanding. I love that. I love that. That's really beautiful. Thank you. And what are three essentials to your self care? (laughs) Okay. I'll only give you three. Um, (laughs) So three would be baths, getting in water. A bath is a huge essential for me. Also, um, yoga and uh, uh, qigong. That's another Mm -hmm. really important, just the physical part. And I think the last one would probably be um, a quiet space for me to meditate, to think, to read, to be alone with my thoughts, but just a quiet space. That could be anywhere. Yeah, that's incredibly important to me too. Uh, is it is it okay if I shift gears towards some heavier stuff at this point and ask you Absolutely. about some stuff from the past? Mm-hmm. What was your experience within Nexium, and what exactly is your story for people who don't know who you are? So um, I live in Orange County, California, and I have been I have four children, and I have been a seeker for as long as I can remember, and I have done many things. I've I've traveled to the Philippines to work with uh, psychic surgeons. I've traveled through Tibet, looking at all the temples and looking at the history of Tibet, working with some of the monks. And I was fortunate enough to be able to meet the Dalai Lama at one point when in California. I have basically read pretty much every book out there and worked with so many shamans and healers. I, I just, I've done a lot in my search. And I finally got to this place where I would get feel a little better like feel a little closer to okay, and then not and feel like, okay, I need to find the next thing. And so I was at this point in my life where I was feeling very not okay. And along came an introduction to an organization that was uh, a human potential organization geared to help people work through their emotional problems, um, become more enlightened. And I thought, okay, well, I haven't tried this. (laughs) And this just seems right up my alley. And so I, I, I signed up for the classes and the classes were really great that I have to say, you know, it wouldn't attract people to it if it were, if the if the curriculum wasn't great. So I really enjoyed that. I loved it so much. And I was really starting to feel good. I really felt like I was making progress. And so I just fell in love with the curriculum. I became a coach and I became part of the community of Nixium. And as many people probably know from the news, um, Nixium had a lot of issues, I come to find out later, had a lot of issues around uh, suing people and controlling people and doing a lot of things that I didn't know about at the time. And then there was an organization within the organization called DOS, D-O-S, and it was basically Keith Ranieri who had started this company, this organization had set up a first line of sex slaves and they were to recruit other women into this organization. And I was recruited into the organization. I was being told that it was a group of women who were all trying to be kick-ass, more accountable, more measurable women in the world to do some really great things. And I was told by someone in the organization that I really admired that I would be a great fit. And so I thought, okay, this sounds like, you know, this could be help me on my path through Nixie and becoming a coach and and a proctor and things like that. And then I was asked for collateral. And at that point, you know, I was already indoctrinated into this system of sort of stop. I wasn't asking as many questions as I should. And I was going with the program and I wanted to be part of the community and didn't want to push any buttons. And I was definitely indoctrinated. But when that collateral word came up, I had to had a pause and I became my whole body went off. And so Mm -hmm. I avoided this person for quite some time. And then eventually it all came out. Well, not quite some time, just a couple of weeks. And then it all came out about what was going on. So I was able to avoid becoming branded and being in this group uh, called DOS by a couple of weeks and myself saying that collateral is not the right way to go. Yeah. I'm so glad that you had that instinct and that you were able to listen to that, to that feeling. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I did watch the documentary and I was just really overwhelmed by, by your story of, of being able to, to listen to your gut. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so 
thankful that that you had that that alarm go off and that you were able to listen to it. Yeah, it really it did teach me a lot because I had relied on that instinct most of my life, like most people. But that instinct had been really repressed through being in the organization. We were told, you know, intuition isn't scientific, so it doesn't really mean anything. So I had really suppressed it. So when that came up through my body, you know, I started to repress it again, you know, because I didn't want to. But the one thing I learned from all of this was never allow that to happen. Your body knows the answer. Like we know the answer and we cannot, we need to listen. And and that was the biggest takeaway for me in this whole, this whole experience that I had. Mm-hmm. It was huge. And the organization uh, that I was mentioning earlier, which, you know, that my sister was deeper into, which she identifies as, as a cult. As I was watching the documentary, I was struck by how similar some of the courses and some of the layouts of things was. And that was uh, quite alarming to see. But I uh, I was really struck by this memory that I had of my experience in there, which was uh, we were separated into groups and, uh, and, you know, we would talk about, we would have questions posed to us, we would talk about various things. And something that was really specifically talked about at one point was that uh, it was the kind of a demonization of fear or discomfort. Uh, and it was constantly put to us that, you need to lean into discomfort because that's where the growth happens. And uh, and fear, you know, being talked about as primitive, as, uh, you know, kind of this, you know, kind of lizard brain kind of response and that we need to move past that. And that if you're fearing something or you're feeling uncomfortable, that that's actually not enlightened. And that uh, in order to, you know, be a more enlightened individual, that you need to move into that feeling, that you need to move into the discomfort and ignore that. And I actually mm-hmm. remember saying, uh, you know, and I was approaching it from someone who already had PTSD, already had a history of abuse. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying in this group, hey, I mean, there's kind of another side to that, isn't there? Because fear keeps us alive and it, keeps us safe sometimes. Yes, I I understand what you're saying, but also it can be our friends and it's very important. It helps us with boundaries. And that was validated and then completely ignored and shut down. Interesting. And I just, yeah, that indoctrination process of teaching you to ignore those instincts uh, and to lean into discomfort mm-hmm. uh, and that very can be very bad. Yeah, that's exactly what happened within Nixium. And what was used against me was that everyone would say to me, um, you're just entitled. You're just in, an entitled princess. And I didn't want it to be, enti- I don't want to be entitled. I don't want to seem entitled. So that to me was sort of my little trigger. And so in order to show that I wasn't entitled, I dug deeper into the discomfort saying, well, I can handle this discomfort. And they were pushing the discomfort and saying, the more, you know, if you're comfort driven, then you're not growing. And so I would go further into the discomfort and try to prove myself. And that's where, where it got really tricky with the intuition because I was suppressing it in trying to become less entitled and less comfort driven. Mm-hmm. Big problem, right? There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. Sometimes, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, a lot of things they were telling me that I was, but I believed that it was because I wanted this thing that was, I thought they were going to help me with, which was enlightenment. I I thought they all had it and I really wanted it and I was going to do anything to get it. I wanted to be a better person. And the purpose of the organization was a humanitarian um, ideology to help the world. But we first, we had to fix ourselves. So damn tootin', I'm going to fix myself. So, yeah. Yeah. That's how it happened. Do you identify as having experienced brainwashing? Yes. So when I got out of the got out of the cult, um, I was kind of told by some you know deprogrammers and people like that that they don't really use the word brainwashing so much as indoctrination. So I think it's kind okay. of the same thing. Um, indoctrination is is I guess what you would probably call brainwashing. Um, so yes, I experienced that very much and it was a slow drip. It didn't happen overnight. It was, and it's a slow drip to let go of it as well. It's a belief system that needs to be broken after, if you decide that it's not working for you, then it needs to be broken. So a belief system is built over time 
And there was a lot of logic around this belief system that kind of made sense given certain things. So yes, I, I can, I totally understand when people do things that are outside of their comfort zone or go against themselves because they have been brainwashed or, or are indoctrinated. I understand mm-hmm. what, so, because I've been there. I had a listener question that was specifically about your experience with, with EM and about the mm-hmm. deprogramming. If, if you've had to kind of like deprogram yourself or rewire your brain after having that experience specifically. Not specifically after the EM, I was fortunate enough to all of the EMs for me seemed to either not work or sort of work, but didn't seem to damage me. They weren't taking me down. You know, I have to really think back on that one. There may have been some in there that probably were going against myself. Um, hmm. But to be for the deep programming part, that didn't come until quite after I got out when I were, was able to contact the, the right people to help me. So the EMs, in my opinion, were being administered by people who really had no education going into the trauma that people had experienced and bringing it back up. They were not experienced. They didn't have the education to be doing that type of thing. So people were hurt. I I didn't realize it at the time, although looking back, yes, I would say that people were definitely hurt because it was out of their league. Yeah. They were out of their league. I actually had a really, um, I had an extremely strong response to just watching the documentary where they had, um, they had video footage, um, and, and audio of someone kind of, and I'm, I'm not going to repeat it. Um, cause I, I don't want to trigger you, um, or anyone else, but, um, but basically saying the words to try to ask someone to go into that experience, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to go into a trauma or a very dark experience, um, mm-hmm. to, to lead them there in a kind of like reliving kind of thing. And mm-hmm. as I was watching this, I had this very visceral reaction to it, uh, to being having that asked of me. And it was strong enough that actually I spoke out loud as I was watching this on the TV and said out loud, I do not consent. I do not consent to this experience and I refuse. Um, and it, it was, uh, but it, it really made it very clear to me how easily that could be extremely damaging for for certain individuals and it was very easy for me to understand how some people i I mean there were some people that had psychotic breaks um with with those with the the ems and such someone was talking to me i cannot recall the conversation totally but we were talking about the branding ceremony and how i felt like i might I don't think I could have gone through with it. You know, I don't know for sure because it didn't happen to me. So I don't know for sure. But this person was saying that, you know, sometimes when you're in the door or in a chair and you're already this far in, it's really hard to say no. So like with an EM, same thing. You're in a group. You're already in, in the group. You're in the door. You're in the, under the roof. And this is happening. And sometimes... And I write about this in my book, you know, sometimes it's hard to say no, um, because we believe we have to choose. And, and in my book, I talk about, you know, sometimes no choice is the best choice, right? It means we always say that no choice is still a choice. It is. But sometimes, especially in a case like this, no choice is a, is a good choice. And I don't know if everybody knows that because a lot of people can't say no. It's hard for them to say no. So that was one thing I really learned because that's what happened to me when I was being asking for collateral. I didn't give an answer. Um, I just made no choice and kind of let, hopefully it would just go away. Now I'm not saying that's the best way to handle all things, but there comes time sometimes when it need, that needs to happen that way. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky thing. I hope that made sense. It did. It did. Uh, and as you say, it's it's not always the right decision, but sometimes it is absolutely the right decision and can mm-hmm. really, really save you from from having things get a lot worse. And it's just sometimes you get lucky. You know, some, sometimes you might have an intuition about like, I think this is one of those situations where not making a decision is is the best decision. And sometimes uh, maybe, you, maybe you come to that more out of a 
sort of a feeling of paralysis or, or fear. Uh, and it ends up being right. the absolute best thing that could have happened to you. And yeah. yeah. Because saying no sometimes can be difficult when you're feeling pressure from around or peer pressure or just I'm already here, you know, oh. but I think that's one thing that I've learned now to be able to say no when I'm uncomfortable about anything and to use my voice. And, and I think that's a really great lesson, especially for younger people to start learning now how to say no. It's okay to say no. You can always say yes later, but say yeah. no. Time. Think about it and then decide what you're going to do. I think that's a, a great tool to be able to have. I wish especially that that, that, that were more present in uh, the way that we raise uh, people who are assigned female at birth, women. Yeah, the focus growing up as, as a femme person, the focus on, uh, on always being polite mm-hmm. has really backfired in my life mm-hmm. in a lot of very alarming ways. And I, yeah, I, I agree. And, and I mean, the belief, the belief too, like this in, insidious belief that uh, if I say no, I'm rude is not true and really seriously messed up. And that's certainly mm-hmm. a, a message that I got growing up. And yeah. Oh, I had, I actually, I had a couple more questions from another cult survivor who wanted to know what did the cult promise you? So the cult promised to help me reach my human potential. And this is an interesting question because it was all about helping each person become the best version of themselves, spiritually, physically, emotionally, so that they could help change the world on some level. So that was the mission for me personally. This is kind of interesting, but I believe that if I could reach enlightenment, that I would be above criticism, judgment, all the painful things that I and everyone experiences in their life. I thought if I could just get to this place, you know, like maybe like the Dalai Lama, you know, if I could get to this place where I didn't, it didn't matter anymore. I was so enlightened that nothing could hurt me anymore. So in some ways, enlightenment to me was about being perfect. It was about perfection, reaching perfection Mm. in order to stay safe. But as was pointed out to me by a therapist, my need for perfection actually put me into danger, Mm. which is a very huge revelation for me when I thought about it. What does perfection cause you or drive you to do? Well, for me, it drove me to basically join an organization that I didn't use a lot of critical thinking skills around it. I just wanted it so badly that I allowed myself to get indoctrinated into their system. What did the cult take from you if you feel like it took something? Well, that's a great question. What it took from me for a little while was my power, or actually Mm. I gave my power away. And I gave it away while I was in the cult and I reclaimed it coming out, but that's a whole, that's in my book. And now that's a whole, (laughs) how to reclaim that. But, but the, the, that was, would be what, what happened. And I am grateful on some levels that that happened because to Mm -hmm. experience having given your power away is huge when you realize what happened and the reclaiming of it is a, is an absolute gift. Can you talk to me about how you exited? how you left. So there was no moment where I just left. It was a a slow process. I was being recruited into DOS. I had kind of put it, I kind of started pushing this away because I didn't know what to do. My body was going off. I knew it wasn't right, but I didn't know how to say yes. And I didn't know how to say no. Didn't want to do either one of those. And so someone called me from Canada and said, Kelly, you need to look at this link that I'm going to send to you. Keith Ranieri has started branding slaves. Like, what? What are you talking about? I thought I thought she'd lost it. I really did. Those were some serious, intense words that were strung together. Oh. It must have been very alarming to hear them. I was sitting down and I couldn't process it. I was like, what are you talking about? So she sent me the link. She said, whatever you do, don't tell anyone I've sent this to you. And I said, why? She goes, they'll, because they'll come after me. And she hung up. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I click on the link. It's a frank report. I'm reading through it. They're talking about branded slaves, sex slaves, DOS, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a secret organization. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this just doesn't sound right. And then I saw the word that they're asking for collateral. And it was the word collateral that 
went, whoop, okay, this is, is this the same thing? And I had this wave wash over me. So it was almost like, I want to say it was my, myself literally had probably been out of my body for a long time and came back in and said, wake the hell up. Because it was this wave that came from the left and literally took over my body and just said, Keith Ranieri is evil. And then it went through and I thought, what was that? Oh, that can't be true. Keith's not evil. Oh my gosh. He created this amazing curriculum. He's the smartest man in the, one of the smartest men in the world. He's a humanitarian. This cannot be true. So I called the person that was asking me to come into this organization. And I said, is this what you were talking about? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. So that was like the moment that the crack happened and the light started coming through. And then over a period of time, I made a lot of phone calls. Nobody really wanted to talk about it because everybody was scared. I did manage to get a few people that I could get some information from. And nobody had the full picture, by the way. Nobody had all the information. Everybody had bits and parts. Most people were afraid to talk about it. So over a period of probably a few months, somebody sent me a book called Take Back Your Life. And it's by Yanya Lalich. And it in the first two chapters, it outlined what a cult is. And I read through the outlines, only one, the first chapter is all I ever read. And I realized I was in a cult. And I took the book and I threw it across the room. And I literally started like jumping up and down, going, Oh my God, I was in a cult. Oh my God, it was in a cult. It just that's when the moment actually was like kaboom. So there was a process. And then from that moment on, when I had that realization, I let it settle. And then I sent my note and said, I'm no longer affiliated with Nixium to the Nixium administration. And I was wow. done. And then that's when the the process of basically deprogramming myself, getting myself to program started. What's that process looked like for you specifically? Well, I was able to get a hold of Yanya. I was able to talk to her through, so seduced, when Cecilia Peck asked me to be in her, her documentary, I originally said no. And then we chatted quite a bit. And then I really trusted her. She encouraged me to 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 bring my voice forward about my experiences because not a lot of people wanted to talk about it. So I did. And through that process, I met Yanya and she helped me cons- a lot to understand what had happened to me. I also had a tapping therapist named Robin who helped me really understand like in my body what had happened because I still was like, this didn't, wasn't really a cult. Was it like, it couldn't have been. And so she helped me to like actually get to that and release a lot of it. So between Yanya and Robin and um, another therapist named Rachel Bernstein, who also has a podcast and she helps survivors as well. Between the three of them, I was able to start the healing process and really dig deep, even deeper actually, and start lifting some of the stuff that I had even before I got into the cult. Mm -hmm. So in a way that was all a gift as well. I asked because you you mentioned spirituality, and I feel like I read that you had a background in homeopathic. Was yes. that correct? Mm-hmm. So I Are have there a in homeopathy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there any alternative medicine kind of things or tools that you found to be useful in in your healing process that you want to talk about at all? Or homeopathy was somewhat helpful, even though when I was practicing, I did mostly practice on emotional trauma. That's how I would get into the body. I'm also a Reiki master teacher. And so I used some Reiki as well. Mm. And I use a lot of flower essences and also essential oils in the process of supporting the body, Uh, a lot of juicing and things like that. Those were all things that I had gotten away from when I was in Nixium. I had a very big practice where I was practicing energy medicine at the time and they discouraged it a lot. And so I eventually did let that practice go, but that was after I got out of the cult. And the reason I let it go was because I really felt that I needed to work on myself and get myself back to a place where I could work with people in in the best way possible. That makes a lot of sense. Are there any flower essences or essential oils that have been specifically beneficial to your personal healing process? This isn't this isn't medical advice. No, I no. Say to the general room, <laughs> no, but no, uh, nice. but that you personally have have been very thankful for. Yes. So I think lavender 
is one of the most amazing essential oils on so many levels. It's calming, it's nurturing, it smells amazing. Frankincense is another very spiritual, very helps to go inside. Mm -hmm. And I really do love box rescue remedy. It's five different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really is amazing. So it's all like the support. It, you know, it, it, homeopathy, there was some support with aconite and things like that, which is for shock and, mm-hmm. and things. So I just sort of was my own support system when that came about, you know, sort of using that. And I've always used that for years and years. I've been using lots of different, um, you see my cupboard is just full. And um, I think for each person, it's very personal what works for them, but I cannot talk highly enough about Bach Rescue Remedy. It's very and periolanda as well. I don't know if you're familiar with periolanda. No, I'm not. Uh, it's similar essences. They come from the East Coast. There's a farm. They have their own sort of rescue remedy as well. They call it something else, um, but it does work with our energetic system, and our we are all energy. And so to be able to that's why tai chi is so great to break up those blocks. So it's breaking up the blocks and supporting the system and the DNA and everything. Hmm. That's the, I, for me that really works. Yeah. I I remember when I was having, I think, the most acute PTSD symptoms in my life. I had the that spray of the rescue remedy. And that was that was a great help to me during that time. Um, it's amazing. And the drops yeah. are great too, depending on what you're doing that for especially for animals. They make one for animals with no alcohol. I've saved birds with that believe it or not. Yes. I've had, we, so we have a a kind of a glass wall around our house and the birds sometimes hit it and, and I would go out and they go into shock. And so I would use a little rescue remedy around their beak, not in their beak, but just around it, just a tiny bit, and then put them in a safe spot. And I'd say 95% of those birds fly away within, because they get out of their shock, they calm down and then they're able to, to fly away. And that to me is like the best thing ever. Yeah. I live on that one for a week, you know. Yeah. It's it's always so scary when they're in that shock state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. mentioned a documentary i i wanted to ask uh you had said you said no at first and then you kind of talked to them more and and felt more comfortable i did want to ask was that an empowering experience for you what was what was it like and how how did working on the documentary um affect you well in the beginning you know i didn't want my voice out there i didn't want to be exposed i was so embarrassed still you know still working through some of the healing i hadn't met yanya yet you know so it was very scary to me. And I'd never really been on a set. I hadn't, so I learned a lot, which was great for me. But Cecilia and the crew were all female and they were so supportive and so careful with us to make sure that we weren't being re-traumatized or that we were okay every step of the way and very calming. And so in the beginning, I was very nervous and didn't know what to do. But then after a period of time, I started feeling more comfortable and I started really trusting them. And then when it came out, I've only seen it once. And that was at the, at the screening. I was petrified when it came out. And so I was like, oh my God, it's actually coming out. So it's sort of like, Kelly, you either have to own it now or you just run like hell. So what are you going to do? And so I thought, well, it's out now. It's coming out. I have an IMDB page now you better just freaking own it. And so I did. And it was in the owning of my story that the last part of that healing really kicked in because now I can talk about it. Now I'm not embarrassed about it. It's out there. There's nothing I can do. So it did sort of almost force me to accept it on a different level. That's really interesting. Thank you for saying that. Wow. Yeah. That, that part of it just hadn't, hadn't even occurred to me. It's crazy when you actually have something out there that anyone can has access to. It's a very interesting, vulnerable feeling. It is kind of scary. I did want to ask, because there was so much media attention, mm-hmm. uh, I did want to ask how the media attention uh, that was that was on all this, not just from the documentary, but also it being a story, 
I wanted to ask uh, how that has affected you and your and your healing process uh, or or your life in general. In general, it was sort of like I would call a few people that I could talk to that were out of the cult and say, can you believe this is happening? Like, can you believe we're here right now? Can you believe this story is running? There was this almost like little dripping effect of a little bit more acknowledgement, a little bit more believing, a little bit more because it was such a big story. People, everybody heard about it. It was just this, we're this little organization of maybe 400 or 500 of us regular coaches and in the community, not that big. And this thing was like, I was, I was in the airport and there was this huge, I forget what um, journal it was, Rolling Stone or something in the Mm -hmm. airport. And there's a picture of Allison Mack on it. And I was like, this was in the very beginning. I was like, oh my goodness. Like it was just unbelievable. It was really hard to take it all in. So over the period of what's been almost three years now, um, now having talked about it and done the documentary and lots of interviews and writing my book, now it's like, okay, this shit's real. Like it happened. And it's just, it's just part of life. You know, it's just part of my experience in life. Yeah, but it was definitely surreal. That's a good word. That's actually the word that was coming to my mind as well. Yeah, it does sound like an extremely surreal experience. And lonely too. Really lonely because there weren't that many people that I could talk to who were out, but willing to talk and be honest and connected. Everybody ran like the, like ran for the hills and, um, Some people were half in, half out. Some people were out. Some people were in. Some people didn't want to talk about it. Some people just, you know, there was lots of different views on it. It seemed like you were put in touch with other people who had exited through the documentary. Do you still stay in touch with other people who have exited? Do you support each other or for the most part have a lot of you drawn away from each other? Yeah, I knew all of them already except for um, she was the one who had been traumatized with the EM. I only met her once and she's from Mexico. Everyone else I knew and we do still stay in touch. Yes. How has this affected the way that you trust or your experience with trust or intuition? From the very beginning, after figuring out what kind of mistake I'd made, I didn't trust anybody for a long time. I didn't, and it was very hard to trust Cecilia in the documentary. But as my intuition started to come back, as I started and, and I physically brought that back, I made a huge intent to bring it back. It took a little while. It's always been there. It didn't go anywhere, but I had to start trusting it again. And so when I started trusting my intuition, I started trusting my ability to trust people. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So that's how, that's how that went. But in the very beginning for a few months, I didn't trust anyone. I didn't even trust myself. I didn't trust myself with anything. So it was very difficult. Do you, do you have any specific advice for survivors who are having a hard time learning how to trust themselves again or trust their own intuition? Yes. And I, I really fully believe we all have intuition. Every single person on this planet has intuition and it's, a, it's like a muscle and we need to use it and we need to trust that we can trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to trust that we can trust ourselves. We know better than anyone else what's right and wrong for us. We know what's right and wrong. You, everybody knows, but we a lot of times we go against ourselves for something else. Like, I'm going to go against myself because I don't want to hurt this person. Or I'm going to go against myself because I want something else. And so being really self-aware of that and just being self-aware of yourself and your decisions and your thought process and why you're doing things, that self-awareness and that brutal honesty with yourself is the most important thing, I think, to healing yourself and getting yourself to a place where you are okay with you in the moment. And and not minimizing victimization at all, because that will never go away. But we have to move on and we have to start trusting ourselves again and start being the person that we know that's in there and we're okay with that. And, And so I think that's the best advice I can give. It's not easy. It is not easy coming out of something like this. And the other advice I would give is to reach out. There's, um, at seduceddocumentary.com. If you go on that website, there is an area that has resources and help. So all the people that I'm talking about, Yanya Lalich and Rachel, they're all on that website. And I believe 
that there is an organization called FACT, I think, that actually will help people find resources and sometimes supplement some of that um, cost. It's seducedocumentary.com. I'm going to make sure that that's linked in episode notes so that people can easily access those resources. Thank you. Another question from a listener is, do you have any advice for friends or family who are hoping to support a loved one in exiting a cult? What I have been told through people who do deprogramming and things like that, it's a very difficult thing. And I think So I'll talk from my experience, from my friends that knew I was in a cult or were thinking I was in a cult and didn't know what to do. It's interesting. All of them said to me, and and I think it really was true, that they didn't want to lose touch with me. So they kept that connection, even though I was going further and further. They didn't want to scare me away. And they probably would have had they made a big fuss about me then thinking I was in a cult because there was part of me that was Orange County girl and Nixium girl, and I kept them separate. And mm-hmm. so if I were talking to you and I realized that you're you're kind of onto it maybe, or you're not into it, then I would change the subject and I would be Orange County girl. Mm-hmm. And then if I thought you were interested, I would be this other person that was you know helping to enroll you into the organization because I wanted to help and things like that. So my friends were starting to think that the cult girl was kind of taking over and they all told me we didn't want to lose contact with you. So I think the most important thing, if you're trying to help someone get out of a cult for you is to not lose contact with that person. Don't, don't judge it. Don't attack it and get some professional help because there are people who do interventions. There are people who can help, help you to navigate these waters because they're very, very tricky. But just don't lose contact with the person because you never know. The person may have an awakening where they realize that they want out and they're going to need someone to go to. They're going to need to be able to know they can call you for help. So it's just, I think it's just really critical to keep some type of communication with the person without triggering them to pull away. That's great advice. Thank you. And it's, it's hard too, um, especially if somebody is into something that's, that's very upsetting. Mm -hmm. To to outsiders, the judgment aspect of it, I I can definitely see that how all of a sudden someone could reach that point where they're perhaps looking for an exit and realize that maybe all their loved ones are gone, or they've had experiences where they've felt judged, um, Mm -hmm. or they're they would be afraid of judgment, and all of a sudden maybe even sink deeper because they felt completely alone and like they had no other options. Exactly, and many times people who are in cults lose contact with the outside world. So they will break ties with many people. And then when they come to this place where they may want to get out, they don't have anywhere to go or they feel they have nowhere to go because I'm sure the people with their friends would and family would take them back immediately, but they feel and they feel very alone. And that's a very scary place to be. Did you feel that the organization tried to isolate you or separate you from your loved ones? It was done in a very obscure way. It was more sort of like they kept you so busy doing things that need to be done inside the organization and they discouraged your con not they discouraged the community from sort of communicating and fraternizing with people who didn't get it basically. So there was mm-hmm. a very much an us and a them component to it. Mm-hmm. I have children, so I wasn't able to there was always that mother part of me that was pulling me back. And I think that that's what part of the thing that really kept me, kept my kids out of it. I kept, you know, some of my older kids went and did a a, a few days of curriculum, but more or less, I kind of kept them kind of out of it. There was a level mama in me that was, the intuition was there. And I was just like, kind of keeping that separate. And I write about that in my book because there's a lot of guilt around that. I have a lot of guilt that I think a lot of mothers out there can relate to, maybe not through a cult, but through other things that take them away, whatever that might be, take them away a little bit emotionally or physically even. And I think that's a very universal thing. Uh, I experienced it in a different way, but writing about it definitely helped me to process that. You'd said something earlier and you you just mentioned guilt. And then earlier you had mm-hmm. mentioned feeling embarrassed. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to talk about the feeling of embarrassment or the experience of guilt and those those really difficult feelings and, and how you've been working on those. So I still have, um, so my book is called Unapologetically Glorious, Owning Your Story Without Shame or Blame. I'm working on that. I really, I think everyone's a work in progress. We're all working toward being better people, at least people that are listening to your podcast, I'm assuming. Um, But I think most people are working toward that. And I still feel a little embarrassed when people find out that I've been in a cult because the word cult has such a connotation of Charles Manson and dead chickens and murders and all this really awful stuff. And I'm not saying that Nixon didn't have bad stuff because it did, but there's still a part of me that feels a little embarrassed. And and when it does come up, I need it. I tell myself, I said, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Every human on this planet has made a mistake. And if the person judging me or, or I feel is judging me can't see that, that's not for me to teach them. It's for me to teach myself that it's okay to not always be okay and it's okay to make mistakes. And if you're learning from those mistakes and you're moving through those mistakes, you know, not everybody's going to like me. You know, not every, I'm not not everyone's going to like me and I just I'm starting to really be okay with that idea. It's okay. Because a lot of people do like me and I like a lot of people, but some people don't. And a lot of times it's really, I look at it too, it's a reflection of them. It's really a reflection of where they're coming from. So if I'm looking to someone else to show me my self-esteem, it's kind of crazy because my self-esteem is here. And if I'm looking over there to validate it, it's like a broken mirror reflecting back to me something that isn't even real. And Mm -hmm. so- I struggle with that. You know, I work on that all the time because to own your story, you got to own it all. And I'm, I'm working on that. I'd love to hear about your book. So my book is um, coming out very soon. It's actually in the formatting process right now. It'll be available on Amazon. And it's really a blueprint of my journey through my life and what I have learned. And I have a Kellyism sort of at the bottom of each chapter that kind of encapsulates exactly what I learned. And it's, it's very vulnerable. It's written about real people in real time. It's, mm-hmm. it's the real me. And it covers things like guilt and vulnerability and, you know, making mistakes and death and grief and all the things that are human, the experiences that we all can relate to. It's just my specific experience. And so I'm hoping to be able to help at least one person see themselves a little bit enough to realize that at the end of the day, we don't need anyone or anything to tell us how to be. There's Mm -hmm. nothing outside of ourselves, no one person or one thing that is the answer. The answer is right here. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say that, but through my experiences, this like a blueprint of my journey, I was able to sort of put that on paper for me. So it was really a healing process for me that I'm hoping I can share with other people that will be helpful to serve other people. I'm so glad that writing that has been such a powerful experience for you. And I think, I think you're right. I think it's going to help a lot of people. It was very cathartic for me. I had hired, this is a kind of a funny story. So I had hired someone in the beginning of COVID to do it. It didn't really work. It was a man and he was great, but he was, a, he did country Western biographies and so it didn't, didn't work. So then I hired someone else to do it and uh, it didn't work either. And so I finally, I called my publicist. I was so upset and I'm like, gosh, so she said, why don't you try this format? So I tried it and I did it and I just whipped it out in eight weeks it was writing all day, every day. And that, that was so intense. Just obsessed and nothing could get, you know, in this way. And I had these blocks of time and I was writing and I got it done. And, and, um, it was so cathartic for me. I can't even tell you. I cried for like two weeks after it was off and on, off and on, off and on because everything had come up. And then it was all sort of just, okay, going out through the tears. Okay. Going out through the tears. Wow. So it, yeah, it was a really, it was an amazing process for me. If you had to pinpoint something that you feel made it possible for you to get it out, to make that work, to write it yourself, what was that for you? Oh, that's a great question. Was it like the format that that your publicist kind of offered to you? The format was good. It was more when I had 
a concrete sort of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It almost came through me. Like, I can't explain it, but it almost came from somewhere else. Exactly. Because I was remembering things that I didn't even remember I remembered and moments and things and feelings and being able to go in and write about your true, true self, the vulnerability of rejection or the the feeling of being in a coffee shop when a new friend you think is going to meet you for coffee and they don't show up, you know, what is that, you know, that feeling. So it was, it was, came through me because I, I decided I wanted to share this with someone. I wanted other people to know they're not alone Mm -hmm. because I have felt so alone my whole life. Yeah. Beautifully said. Oh, thank, thank you. Like that was, that was really powerful. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> wow. Oh. Would would you like to take a minute? How are you no, doing? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I would also like to ask about the work that you're doing in the world. Uh I wanted to ask about Be Glorious. Yes. Um so Be Glorious is a is a platform that I'm starting to um just to help people understand that we are all born glorious. We are born as babies. We are glorious. And through our lives, through our belief system, from what people tell us, from what we experience, we start to lose that over time, but it doesn't go anywhere. And I really want to help people to rediscover that gloriousness about themselves, that unique, beautiful light that we all have that in this world right now is really being covered up. And Part of the reason I wrote this book was just to hopefully build a community of people that understand this, that we are the light. It is here. It isn't out there. We have everything we need right here. And we are glorious beings on this planet. Every single solitary one of us is a glorious being. So that that is what I'm working on now. I think the the platform itself is still in its, its sort of infancy stages right now after finishing the book. And I'm hoping that it can be a a place for people to see themselves and to be able to reclaim themselves, basically. I think that with the book kind of going along with it, which will explain a lot of it, it's not a how-to book. This Mm -hmm. is really my experience type of of book. So it's not a a step-by-step. But from this book, and I think from the platform, there will be enough information for people to start that journey for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need things like this on the planet. We need places for people to go. We need more to love each other. We are all connected and we need this for the planet. We need to raise the vibration of the planet in order to save ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, this is the the perfect time to ask about your spiritual practice and and how that's been a part of your life or your healing journey. And if you'd like to to share anything about that. So I know I, I meditate. I'm not great at it. I don't do it, you know, every morning. I, I meditate throughout my week. I have a very strong connection with what I call God. Now, a lot of people might call it source or universe, a very strong connection with that. And it's, it's a work, it's work in terms of its practice. Like I'm constantly reconnecting with source, with God's source, because that is everything. And my spiritual practice is, I've finally learned over a period of time that it's really between me and source, me and God. That's really what it is. And I hand everything over. And when I, when it's out of my league and I'm feeling anxious or nervous or upset, I hand it over and I don't necessarily get the answer right away, but what I do get is peace. And that peace is enough to quiet me down, enough to see the signs, enough to hear the message, enough to listen to myself. And so that's really my practice. I no longer go outside myself looking to, I, mean, I love Yogananda. I love Ram Das. I love what he has to say. I really wish I would have been able to meet him, but I don't follow anyone. I simply, listen, take what makes sense to me, run it through my filter. Does it resonate? And then I, I, if it's useful, I use it, Mm -hmm. but it's really about my connection and it's an ongoing, almost like a telephone call. 
You know, it's a constant communication. If you love your best friend, you're going to call her or him. So that's kind of how I look at it. I love that. I had an auntie in India um, mm-hmm. and instead of uh, of handing it over, the, the word she would always use was send it up. Yes. Yes. And I, I've always, I've always remembered that, and I've, I always think of her and, uh, and, and think of it in that way. Of, oh, send it up, and um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. it's amazing the peace, the peace that comes from that when you hand it over and realize it's kind of out of my hands, and I can't control this. It's this, it's really quite beautiful, I think. Yeah. Well, and I love I love the way you put it too because it wasn't. Um, I think I think when some people hear that said, they think of it as as someone kind of like a loss of autonomy kind of thing. Well, like, well, I'm not even in control. But um, but I love the way you put it because it does open you up. Like once you once you hand it over or, or send it up, it it. I love that you mentioned uh, it opening you up to kind of hear things and because that's actually the way I feel about it, which is that it allows me to make better decisions. So there's no loss of autonomy or, you know, or control or necessarily it's, it's just, it is like a clarity or a peace that allows me to, to act from a different place. Yeah. And I think if you slow down and have peace, you can respond instead of react. And I think it's in the response that we're able to, hmm, Maybe instead of being angry at this person, I could have compassion or I could try to understand what they're going through. Or you can have much different responses that come from a place of love because trust me, like I have knee-jerk reactions all the time, but I am learning to slow down and I'm learning to respond instead of react. And I'm learning to respond with love, unconditional love, even though I'm being hurt. You know, I'm not being abused. I'm saying just my feelings are hurt or whatever, yeah. or feeling anxious. And so I, I, I don't want to respond out of being anxious. Yeah, I, I want to respond from a place of, you know, somewhere else. You mentioned that you don't have like a super consistent or like daily practice, but I do want to ask about uh, meditation and, and what your meditation practice is like. And zero judgment on my part. My, my practice is not super daily or consistent either. Um, and so just asking, because I do actually get a lot of questions about meditation or people who mm-hmm. are considering getting into it, are nervous, uh, or aren't really sure if that might be something right for them. So I like to talk to a bunch of different people and just hear what's your practice like? What works for you? What have you found beneficial? So what I found extremely beneficial is head headspace. It's an app. Mm. Um, I think you can actually get a free trial still. Headspace is a very short meditation. It's probably five to seven minutes long and works you up to 10 minutes. And it kind of really shows you the effects that meditation can actually have on the brain scientifically. And then you can buy other, um, you can upgrade to longer meditations. So that's where I started meditating when I really got serious about it. And now sometimes I use Headspace. um, Sometimes I listen to Joe Dispenza who is also has some really great meditations um, that go sort of helping to heal the world. It goes very between it's, it's a, it's very um, global put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, other times I meditate just by myself. I sit quietly and I work with my breath and I just watch. You can't stop your thoughts, but you can watch them go by and go, Hmm, well, that one was interesting. Isn't that interesting? And keep focusing on the breath. And when you get away from the breath, you go back to the breath. And as the thoughts come in, because they will, you just go, hmm, just like a car going by. Oof, there it goes. And then mm-hmm. go back to the breath. And just keep doing that as many times as you need to over a period of time. It is very calming. It also, you will notice, well, at least I noticed during the day later on, <clears throat> I'm much more calm. Mm-hmm. I don't have that monkey brain going off all the time, arguing with myself. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the phrase that I learned as well was the the monkey minds and mm-hmm. it is it is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, well, our brain can't not think. Yeah, it can't it can't stop. But we can learn to not listen to the thoughts that come in. They're just going by. Like there goes a red car. Do I red want a red car today? No, I don't think so. Oh, here comes a yellow car. Okay, I'll take that one. That that thought's okay. You know, so you can decide which thoughts make sense to you and which ones you want to take in and which ones you don't mm-hmm. after a period of time of learning to that. And that's all about awareness, right? So mindfulness and awareness comes through meditation yeah. one way. That's the one way that it does. 
Well, and and also just just learning not to. I think I think that's a, a big misconception about meditation is that the goal is to not think, <laughs> and uh, and I think that's what turns a lot of people off if they're if they're starting to if they're trying to just get into meditation because they you know they'll sit down, they'll all of a sudden be faced with the monkey minds and they're like, well, I can't do this, uh, you know, and it's you know because it is in, impossible to to not not think mm-hmm. um you know it's it's just not <laughs> that's not what it is um but uh yeah i i love the one um the the practice of imagining envisioning self as as the mountain and the thoughts as clouds mm-hmm. that's that's one that i found really helpful at one point i also have found it in in my life very beneficial in terms of uh, not identifying too much with your thoughts. We have so many thoughts and, uh, and it's very easy to, to over identify with them. Like, Oh, I, I, this is who I am. This is what I am. And no, you can have thoughts and that's not necessarily what you are, who you are. They just happen. And you know, that you don't have to over identify with it. Um, Exactly. It's a choice, right? Yeah. It's a choice. You get to choose. Yeah. Just especially people who have been in organizations that are high control, high demand. Um, there are a lot of organizations out now that are there to help, like yourself. There's also, I got out on Instagram. They're very much about helping survivors. So there's a lot of information and now, especially now over the last year and a half, and a lot of resources for people. And really what I want to get across is you're not alone. There are so many people who have brushed with a cult or have been full on in a cult and have experienced way worse than I ever did inside Nixium. So there's a, you know, there's a big range of experiences for people, but it doesn't minimize any of it. And there are organizations and, and I really encourage anyone who has had this experience to reach out to seducedocumentary.com to I got out any, any places like that to help yourself to start the healing process and know you're not alone. And this does happen. You know, it took me a long time to believe it's actually happened to me. It took forever to, for me to wrap my head around this happened, but it does happen. And it happens to good people mm-hmm. and it happens to normal people and it happens. It happens. And it doesn't mean you're dumb and it doesn't mean that you're naive. It doesn't mean that yes. Yes. it can happen to anyone given the right set of circumstances. And for me, I was in a very vulnerable place in my life where I was really, really searching. And I, you know, I believed and trusted that this was going to work and, and I didn't use my filter. Like I always have, I just didn't do it. And it was just, a, it was like a, a perfect storm. I loved something that you said in the documentary was, I believe you said that you believed that you had been targeted because you were intelligent and well-connected. That's correct. These organizations do, different organizations are going after different things. But if you think about an organization, what does it need? It needs resources, whether that be people, money, power, what have you. And if you can offer that, not that I went in offering that, but they they figured it out and they were attracted to me for that reason. And that's why Mm -hmm. I was really pushed up the stripe paths, which was the organization's inside coaching thing. That's why I was pushed up so quickly and brought in so quickly and met Keith so, so soon, you know, within my first couple of weeks, I was met Keith. And so I was being treated very special and that felt good. You know, why wouldn't it feel good? So those are things to look out for. And um, they are looking for people that can help them, whether it just be a worker bee. I was, I was everything. I was a worker bee too. I worked my butt off. So they're looking for everything and Mm -hmm. they want resources. Yeah. whether it be your person power or what have you. Do you have anything that you want to say to the survivors who are listening? I think just know you're not alone and reach out. There are organizations out there. And I just really think it's important for people to know there's resources and that there are people who want to help. And mm-hmm. your podcast, you know, it's, you're, they're in the right place right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> 
still got a lot of uh, imposter syndrome with uh, with what I do. So I I'm I'm so glad that that you're here and that uh, I I just feel really honored to um to get to talk to you and and thank you so much for doing this and for for sharing so much of yourself and your experiences and for for offering these incredible resources as well and um, helping make them more available to people who need them who are feeling alone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really delightful and I loved meeting you and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> thank you. This is this has been this has been wonderful and I I'm just so happy I got to meet you and uh and to to create this together. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Please check episode notes. There you will find links to Kelly's website as well as some wonderful resources for survivors. Keep an eye out for Kelly's upcoming book, Unapologetically Glorious, which will be available in January 2022. Follow her on social media for updates. The giveaway has ended, and congratulations, Samantha. You are the winner. Thank you so much to everyone who entered. Thank you for your beautiful posts. It's been so much fun doing this, and I will try to find ways to do more of them in the future. I now have a Patreon. You can join at various tiers to not only keep the podcast alive, but to gain access to all sorts of exclusive behind-the-scenes posts, pics, bonus audio, bloopers, and even video episodes. I hope to see you there, and that you'll help me take this next big step with Finding OK. I also want to give you an update on the Letters for the Fire project. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I've invited listeners to write a letter to their abuser and send it to me. Instructions for that can be found on my blog. I am receiving your letters, and thank you so much for sending them. I'm devoting an entire episode to the letters at the end of this season. Time is winding down, and the deadline is approaching. Please try to get your letters to me by the end of December. If you included a personal note to me with your letter, I will write back to you. And I just want to let you know that I love you, and as soon as I have the spoons, I will get back to you. I'll be keeping you updated on the project along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com. It's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where the new blog is. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. There is also a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors, and you are welcome there. Finding OK is crowdfunded. It is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive during the pandemic. If you can't afford to donate or become a member on Patreon, one of the best ways you can support the show is by reviewing and sharing online or by word of mouth. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding OK. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing.